Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Doug Plucknett to the show. Doug, if you don't know, he's the author of RCM Blitz, and so we talk all things RCM. Doug gives us his tips, tricks, and common mistakes to avoid. I really, really hope you enjoy it and get as much value as I did from this conversation. A few things to mention before we get started. If you haven't yet, go to robsreliability.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter with some bonus content and follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn for the best memes in the industry. I spent a lot of time making those memes for you and I really hope you enjoy them. Lastly, if your company sells products or services to reliability maintenance professionals, tell your marketing manager about Rob's Reliability Project. I have various advertising packages for the show and I would love to work with you. So you can either reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com to find more about those. Speaking of advertising, this week's episode is sponsored by my friends at UE Systems. UE Systems has been the premier source of ultrasound instruments, technologies, and support for 45 years. From handheld inspection tools, state-of-the-art and complementary software, and now permanent sensors with 24-7 condition monitoring, UE Systems has everything you need to take your ultrasound program to the next level. Now, UE Systems has given us at Rob's Reliability Project a great, and you as listeners to Rob's Reliability Project, a great offer. We have a special offer. If you go to uesystems.com slash training slash online courses, the link is in the podcast notes, you can get a complimentary online training course from UE Systems. You can choose between lubrication best practices and functions, mechanical inspection and lubrication, electrical inspection, steam trap inspection, or compressed air leak survey. So if you go to uesystems.com slash training slash online courses and sign up for one of those courses, enter Rob's Reliability Project in the comment section, you'll get that course for free, a savings up to $495. So that's a great offer. I definitely recommend you check that out. I took one of the courses Last year, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I also learned a fair amount from it. So definitely go out there, definitely register for an online course, and you can do it at work, at home, wherever. It's great. Definitely sign up and get that for free. Awesome. So thanks for listening. Now we'll get into the interview with Doug Plucknett. Awesome. Hey, guys, we're back, and this week we have a special guest. Doug Plucknett is joining me on the pod. Doug, how are you? Good, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. And and actually, you know, just just so people are listening here. So Doug is the president of Reliability Solutions and the creator of RCM Blitz. And for everyone listening, the first RCM, well, actually, the only RCM course I ever took was actually RCM Blitz, which Doug, you created. So it's pretty cool to have you on the show today. 
Thank you very much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And and Doug, I mean, like we've had some people on who've been like Nancy Regan's been on the show. She's obviously classical RCM two methodology. And we've had Jesus Safante on the show and he's written uh, RCM re-engineered. Do you want to just give us a little take on RCM Blitz and how it's different than those two other forms of RCM? Well, RCM Blitz is still a, a traditional RCM methodology that it follows the seven steps of RCA, RCM that uh, uh, John Mulberry and Dana Netherington uh, put together in the SAE standard. Uh, what I did, though, is I, I followed that standard and had performed several RCMs. In fact, I was initially trained in RCM, too, and it's... Uh, there were some things about it that, that bothered me. It wasn't really focused so much on manufacturing. And I looked at other methodologies and, and took several other courses. I was at uh, going to night school at the time at RIT and uh, bounced some ideas off a professor of mine and uh, decided to look at saying, if I was to write an RCM uh, methodology that focused on manufacturing, what would it look like? And I still wanted it to follow the seven steps of RCM because I didn't want it to be ever considered a shortcut process. So uh, how does it differ? Uh, we don't get too wrapped up in writing a function for every component. We talk about a main function for a piece of equipment or a process, and then the functional failures for that main function statement. And then we take and look at the hierarchy that the company has and, and some companies may or may not have a good hierarchy. If they don't, we have to walk it down. We make a list of components and we get started uh, in discussing how each component failure uh, impacts that main function in, in terms of uh, the, the functional failures that we've written for. Uh, and in the end, we use a decision diagram that's very close to what Stan Nolan and Howard Heap wrote uh, originally. And it's really the software that, that – uh, I've developed it helps make this click along at a much faster pace. Uh, the other thing that I did, and that's where the Blitz name came from. You know, looking back 25 years, I'd probably give it a different name. Uh, but it was really, gee, when I first learned this, they said you should do this in, in no more than a two-hour meeting, and it took forever. And <laughs> I was working in an environment where, uh, you know, your manager wants to see results. They Managers today sit in their jobs between 18 months and, and, and 36 months, let's say, and that's a long term. Uh, they want to see results. And so I had to come up with a methodology that we could finish an RCM in a week and then within you know three to six weeks have that completely implemented and start showing some results. And that's really where Blitz came from. And it was, say, we're going to go sit in a meeting and we're going to work on this until we get it done. And typically we can do a, you know, a major asset, hundred and uh, 85 to 110 components in a week's time and cover 120 to 140 failure modes. And that's with a new team. I mean, I've done some this year with a team that I, I worked with five different times where we were well up over uh, 250 failure modes in a week. So it's really the understanding of the process, the uh, team and how experienced they are, and then the software that makes us click along at a pace that is, uh, is reasonable. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and that's one thing I, I liked about the, the methodology, the blitz methodology is just that it's 
like no one wants to be stuck in a room for months talking about RCM and and speeding that up and and getting to the results part because really the value to me is on the implementation side. Exactly. And that was the other thing we focused on is saying, uh, how do we make this easy to implement? And that's where the hierarchy came from. Let's go right to the CMS and the hierarchy that they created so that we're calling things the same in the RCM so that we can take the information that goes into our database, export it to an Excel spreadsheet, and that spreadsheet layout will look just like their hierarchy and their, whatever CMMS they're using, whether it's Maximo or SAP. Uh, and we can push that information right back in because it's, it's written in the same way. Uh, we also focus on critical assets. You know, I, that was one of the things that bothered me about the very first RCM that I did, which was not a Blitz RCM. Uh, the provider came in and said, it doesn't matter what you pick, you're going to get value. We picked a brand new piece of equipment that uh, we were very familiar with, and turns out we had a very good maintenance plan for it before we even did the RCM. I think there was maybe three things that changed. So we said, gee, let's focus this on critical assets that are struggling, and let's show results. Let's get a return on investment. I Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a common misconception is people think that you just like you do an RCM on the entire facility. And I mean, you'll be months, if not years in, in that process. But like, I always like to recommend the same thing, right? Is like pick something that's having problems, pick something that's critical, and then really kind of start small and build it out. Like, how do you recommend people go about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, it all depends on what level I get brought in. I, you know, I've been brought in, uh, from vice president level, I've been brought in by a single maintenance supervisor that said, hey, yeah, I went to a conference and I thought this was a great idea. You know, how do we get started? And getting started really is, okay, have you done a criticality analysis? If not, let's take a look at what you've got out there and spend some time. We'll do a walk down and talk about what's your most critical uh, machine or system at this particular plant. And then let's look at the reliability of that those machines let's look at the top five percent and say uh which ones are struggling to achieve uh an oee say of uh better than 70 percent now i realize there's gonna be people say oh world class is 80 uh (laughs) but what are the (laughs) the assets that are struggling let's focus on them because if if we focus there again we're going to get that return on investment and you're going to open some people's eyes and that's really what is the best way to start an RCM program is focus on that critical asset, open some eyes and get some buy-in, right? Uh, especially when it happens that way, you get buy-in not only from the management level, but from the craft level, they see the difference. From the operations level, they see the difference. From the people involved in health, safety, environment, they'll see the difference, right? When you get people excited about that, then, it, then it's easy to create that culture and it's exciting. I mean, I've had some customers that I've been with over 10 years that there's a marked change in how they do business. Cool. Really cool. And, and I mean, that's the, like, in terms of sustainability, like creating that culture and creating the buy-in is really like, that's the nuts and bolts of, of reliability. Like that's the hard part. And that's the real challenge. I think a lot of us have. 
it is a challenge, and I, I'll be honest with you, it was something I struggled with for a long time. And in fact, um, I talked with Ron Moore, and a lot of people in this business know who Ron Moore is, and I consider Ron a friend. And anytime I had some issues, there's a guy that I can call and say, you know, Ron, how do you deal with this, right? And he said, gee, I, there's so much going on in reliability right now. Uh, and it worries me, he says, because I, I have customers that say, gee, we just got good at this. How do I make sure we stay focused on this? And he says, you have to have a plan for sustainability, right? You have to know that managers are going to change and you have to be able to tell uh, somebody decides to change a manager. And, and let's say that's a, a plant manager and it's a vice president level that makes that decision. The vice president that decided to make that decision has to have a plan in place that says, let's make sure we sustain what we're good at at that site before this manager leaves. So when the new manager comes in, here's the things you can play with and here's the things that are out of bounds. You can't touch them. They've gotten good at this. Right. And that made so much sense to me that it's one of those things that, you know, I, I put a contract together or a charter together when we started an RCM and make that even a piece of that charter to say, when we get good at this, doesn't matter who comes in and who's going to be the new boss. We're going to be able to show that this is something we're good at. We sustained it and we want to keep it that way. Right. So from here on out, this is out of balance. We're going to continue to do our maintenance this way on this particular piece of equipment. I love it. Now, now, Doug, I mean, kind of jumping off that, like we've started to see at all these conferences, these machine learning technologies, these, some of them are even getting into augmented reality, virtual reality. Like, where do you see the impact of that? And then also like, where do you see reliability progressing in the next five to 10 years? That's an interesting question. Um, and there's a lot of excitement about all the new technologies and the augmented reality uh, smart machines, machine learning, the industrial internet of things. And uh, it's something I've read a lot about. It's something that I've actually gone and, and sought out uh, who's doing this by asking some questions and having some conversations on LinkedIn. And uh, I think that there's certainly a future in reliability for that, uh, especially when we get to uh, being able to detect potential failures and put in place work orders to address those before functional failure occurs, right, thereby saving secondary damage. Um, there's a lot more instrumentation that we can put in that is much more cost effective, and we can be looking at things 24-7. However, and this is a big however, <laughs> uh, I, I'm working worked with a company this year that has a uh, brand new smart machine that we did RCM on. And that was one of the questions before I even got my hands involved with it was, okay, so we're going to put all these new instruments on this machine that you're designing and installing. How good are you at responding to point P right now and, and addressing? And the, the reply was at this particular site, very good. And that's why we're putting the machine here at this site. We want to be able to show. And that made sense, right? There's some other places that are getting into this that even as they're walking around and doing rounds, manual rounds with vibration analysis and IR and, and airborne ultrasound, and 
they identify potential failures and then do nothing about them. And if they were to say, gee, we want a, a you know, a new smart machine and we're going to spend uh, a half million dollar more for it, I'd tell them don't waste your money because you're not likely to respond any more to those alarms than the alarms you're getting from an actual human. Uh, <laughs> and that's where we need to be careful. And we need people to learn to understand what are you really getting into? Because it sounds fun, right? And and to me, man, it would be ideal to work in a plant like that. It really would. It'd be so much fun to be able to say, not only are we looking at these things, but now what are some of the comparison trends we can do uh, to look at vibration and heat and noise, right, to give us even a, a better idea of what that PF curve looks like, right? Those things, they really excite me, and there's a, a lot out there. Again, it comes with a big however. How good are you at really doing this? Right? How how good are, are you at responding to that? I hate to use the word react. I almost said it. How good are you responding <laughs> to those things and, and, and addressing it before that secondary damage occurs? If you're good at it, then, yeah, take the next step. If you haven't been good, don't bother wasting your money. Yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I agree 100%. And I liken it to, you know, basics versus advanced, right? And it's it's just like like anything, like if we're we're playing basketball, if we can't dribble the ball, why like how are we expecting that we can start to learn how to dunk? You know, and it's to me that's the same thing. It's if you're doing good basic maintenance practices, your inspections are good, you're able to follow up on predictive maintenance work orders or even just PM inspections that came back and said, Hey, you need to fix something. Then maybe we can start working on it. But if a lot of plants you go to, they're kind of a disaster and it's like, there's no place for machine learning here. So, so Doug, I mean, jumping off a little bit, you talked a little bit about the PF curve and we did have a little LinkedIn back and forth on one of the memes I posted. And one of the one of the listeners talked or, or sort of asked about it. Do you want to just give us an introduction to the PF curve, point P, point F, what functional failure is, those types of things? Sure. Um, and this is something I've probably written more about than, than any other subject in terms of Nolan and Heap RCM. And for those that don't know, what I'm discussing it. Stan Nolan and Howard Heap really were the founders of reliability centered maintenance and, and their document, they discussed the, the PF curve. In fact, it's old enough that it, uh, in their illustration, uh, they didn't even show point P and point F. They show something like point S and point D. Uh, regardless, they talk about the terms S was represented by potential failure. So that's point P in the PF curve is potential failure. Uh, and I, I've seen there's there's over a hundred curves out there. Some of them are, are, are good and some are miserably wrong. I, I saw one <laughs> not long ago that says, you know, point P is where failure starts to occur. N no, point P is where failure is first detected. It, it could have started months ago uh, when it wasn't properly aligned or balanced when it, when it was installed or it wasn't properly lubricated when it was installed. And point P is where we first detect uh some type of defect using some technology, be it vibration analysis, thermography, ultrasound, human senses can even be. And in this PF curve, which is theoretical, point P can move up and down. It can move from left to the right and uh, 
realistically, you want point P as far right as possible. Point F is functional failed, and most people illustrate it as it's totally failed, and that's not true either. Functional failure means it can no longer provide uh, one of the functions that it's intended for. For example, a pump has a function to be able to pump uh, so many liters per minute. Let's say it's uh, 380 liters per minute. When it's now at uh, 379 or 350, it has functionally failed. It can no longer provide that function of being able to pump 380 liters per minute. So point F can move up and down that curve. Uh, and depending on the consequences that we're trying to avoid, uh, it's, there's a value to moving point F up the curve, right? So we stay as far away from total failure, and that's where secondary damage occurs, is down when we get into uh, things totally failing and tearing other components up as they fail. So, and that's really what I try to get people to understand is that's the difference between RCM and uh, a regular standard maintenance plan is most standard maintenance plans focus only on total failure, right? They don't think of things that uh, won't pump enough at a high enough rate or high enough pressure or actuate at a quick enough speed or within a certain window of speed as being functionally failed. Right. And I tell them this is gives us time to look at things and monitor our process and understand what the actual cause of failure is. Right. I, I worked with one client many years ago on a gearbox that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they were saying, gee, it had an MTBF of 18 months and it was tearing itself up. And I get talking to the uh, analyst that's, that's doing the vibration analysis and he says, Doug, this thing will look great month after month after month after month. And we've got these at multiple sites. And uh, the next month I look at it, it'll look like it's falling apart, right? And, and so you start trying to get them to understand, this is what the PF curve looks like. Where in the curve are you with this data, right, that you're seeing? Well, it's simply it's point P, and I don't know what caused it. And that's the key to understanding why we do the technologies to say anytime we detect point P, we need to understand the failure mode that caused it, right? And to make a long story short in terms of that gearbox, they looked at is it looseness, is it misalignment, is it imbalance, is it improper lubrication, and they eliminated six or eight different things. And when it came down to it, and we said, let's actually sit down and do an RCM analysis, and we had the operator in the room, the operator said, Gee, would it bother the gearbox if we started it on full load? <laughs> right? And there's everybody in the room starts making faces. How often do you do that? Well, it's not that we do it a lot, but when <coughs> this machine plugs up, we might jog it back and forth 50, 60 times to get it to free up. Right? And all of a sudden, the lights go on in the room. Everybody says, you're kidding me. Oh, no, that's a standard practice. You know, the folks in so-and-so figured this out 20 years ago, and then they wrote an SOP, and everybody does it that way. And maintenance <laughs> was never aware of that, right? And once we got them to understand what was happening and what was going on, and they eliminated that standard practice and came up with a different workaround, 
that was 2003 and they haven't had a gearbox fail yet. <laughs> right. So it's essential to understand that when we get there, we need to understand the failure modes that cause point P and you need to exhaust them. Right. And that's what RCM is about is saying, what are the likely causes of point P and eliminate them one at a time. Now, when you say eliminate them, are you talking about, are you talking about like, uh, eliminating them with maintenance practices or operational practices or both, or what are you talking about? Yeah, this is, this gets into, you know, where root cause and RCM are very similar eliminating. I mean, in terms of the particular failure that you're looking at, can we eliminate that it was misalignment? Can we eliminate that it was or wasn't imbalanced? Can we eliminate that it was or wasn't lubrication, right? And that was the thing is they had seen multiple failures of this particular gearbox. So it came down to, all right, we made sure that it was properly aligned, that it was properly balanced, that we had the proper lubrication in it, and we still had a failure. All right. So what's next on that list? And when you're dealing with multiple sites and looking at a, a, an identical asset, we can start using the information from site to site to site to say, what could it possibly be? And quite honestly, it was bringing the operator in the room that resolved it for them. Right? They had done root cause analysis on this multiple times. Yeah, I, I think that that's one of the big values actually of RCM is that multidisciplinary team. Now, like how often do you think that having that extra person come in from operations or from health and safety, like how often do you think that that's the value? Or I guess the other, the other kind of follow up to that is how do you make sure that the people in the room are the right people? That's a good question. This, and here's the answer that I give customers because it's a, a pretty common question. When it comes to RCM, number one, don't get too many people. You can do a good RCM analysis with five to six people. Uh, so how do I make sure I get the right maintenance people in the room? Uh, for whatever asset you're working on, go talk to the operators that operate that equipment and ask them who the best maintenance people are. All right. And then on that same piece of equipment, talk to the maintenance people and ask them who the best operators are. And it's that simple. They'll tell you. All right. Now, with that said, there still is other criteria that I, that I have them look at. Okay, now you've got who the operators consider the best, per, that's the best person, or those are the best two people for maintenance. <coughs> um, are they open-minded? Are they willing to change? Those are some other criteria that may might want to look at to say, let's get the right people in the room. And And how often do you include operators or do you include like a vendor or a safety person in, in an RCM? Uh, the operators probably uh, 95%, and I wish it was 100. Um, there are times that uh, I'm just not given an operator, and as much as I jump up and down and scream and say you have to have one, I also understand there's times that, you know, what, for whatever reason, something's going on at a plant and they, they can't give an operator up or they can't give a particular maintenance person up. Uh, equipment vendors is becoming more common. 
Uh, and when I have them, I tell companies, you, you want to make sure you, you get their road service tech, not a salesperson, not an engineer. You want a person that actually, you know, well, this piece of equipment is under warranty. That's the person that uh, goes out to work with the companies to uh, perform maintenance or correct something that may have failed. So make sure you get the road service people. EHS people, again, it depends on the RCM. If it's one where they've they've had, and I've had gone in uh, to specific companies for, let's say, have one that uh, we had an elevator in a mine fail, and the company said we'd like you to come in and do an RCM on that. Uh, we think that it's important enough that we not only understand what the root cause is, but to say we need to come out of this with a, a proactive maintenance plan because we can't have failures like this occurring. So that happens, you know, maybe once a year. Uh, I encourage the safety people to come in. If they don't come in, uh, when we do the closeout, they're, they're represented there, and we'll, we'll bring up safety issues that, that came about in the RCM. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great uh, opinion. Now, I guess, I guess for people listening, like you, you mentioned closeout, and like typically there's sort of an introduction section, at least for the team that's joining for the RCM. Like, do you want to just break down the RCM process and like what the different steps are? Um, yeah. When I sit down with a company and of course, when we're doing training, I show them, I actually have a process flow of what's included in, in, in completing an RCM. <laughs> And that's where, by the way, most companies fail is, is implementation because at the very start of their RCM, they don't even talk about what they're going to do to implement, right? And what we do, and one of the things that I changed, and it came way back from my Kodak days, was we're not going to get started without talking about you do have to implement this, and who's going to be in charge of that? We're going to name an implementation manager. And once we finish the RCM, we're going to sit down with the maintenance and operations supervisors are going to assign these tasks to people. And then that implementation manager is going to track those tasks and report them out to supervisors, managers, and the people that were on the team. So they're well aware of how we stand with this RCM. And the closeout meeting is really done between the finish of the analysis and the start of the implementation. And that's to let the managers know that, all right, here's the final phase of this process, which is, and I shouldn't say that, Here's the next phase of the process, which is implementation. The final phase is actually doing the tasks and tracking the reliability to be able to show improvement. So looking at phases, we have training, performing, assigning, implementing, doing, and tracking. And and how often, like like maybe – Maybe can you break down for us like some of your top tips for like the implementation side? Because I, I think that that's somewhere that people struggle with. All right. And in, in terms of implementation, I <laughs> this is one of those things that it always looks like a monster. Right. When you get done, if you've done an RCM that's got, let's say, 150 or 170 failure modes, you're looking at probably 300 different tasks that need to be done. And, and people, you know, you can just see them start to pull the hair on the top of their head and make faces and you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, a lot of these are going to be identical. And many of them are just steps in a, this is a step in a, 
mechanical PM that's done quarterly. This is a step in an electrical PM that's done uh, <coughs> semi-annual. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's really, really the redesigns that that, hope, that keep things from being fully implemented within three weeks, right? Because they got to do in for a redesign, there has to be a management of change done, and sometimes a little bit of small capital, and so that'll hold those few things up a couple of months, right? But the majority of things can be done realistically in one to three weeks. And if I'm being honest, if you're aggressive at it. 60% can be done in the first week. You'll have 85% done within three weeks. And then it's it's those that minor percentage of, of redesigns that need management of change that, that will take longer. But you'll start seeing results as soon as you start doing the things, right? And there's no reason why after a week you can't have things into your CMMS and start getting them out there. And that's where I, I tell folks, look, you're worried about this. Are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to change this? It's one machine. We've done an RCM on one machine, and I got your managers to sign off on the fact that we're going to implement this and we're going to do it. So that automatically takes the work orders that we're putting in for this RCM and bumps them up in the process. If you put them in this week, there's no reason why we can't be talking about scheduling them next week or the following week. Right? It's one piece of equipment. Let's show whether or not this works. And when we show that it does, then we can also show that there's a different way of doing maintenance. And this way of doing maintenance is more cost effective and actually uses less time and money. Right? And brings more reliability. That's really the exciting part about this. I, I do. I get totally pumped up when, when I get a company that understands it, buys it, goes out and does it. Right, and they show that, and and they're the ones that could call me back and say, "Man, we're seeing results already." It's 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 really it's really all about that, right? Like, once people see it, it's it's such a slam dunk thing to do that it's it's kind of surprising that more people don't do it. What's surprising is I can't get those ones that get that excited to call. Is that I'll say, "Hey, would you like to speak at a conference?" And all of a sudden, the phone goes silent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, some people don't don't like to like to speak at conferences or like the microphone so yeah well that's the one thing the, the other thing is that we don't want our competitors to find out what we're doing right and my reply to that do your do your competitors understand what you actually did right that you actually had to do something right not talk about it not think about it you actually had to do it Wow. That, that's like everything, right? Like I always, I always love the, the companies that you walk into them and they say, uh, we want to be world-class in reliability. And you go, okay, how are you going about doing that? And then the answer is really basically we're doing the same thing we've always done. And to me, it's, it's like talking about how you want to run a marathon while you're sitting on the couch and you've ne you haven't gone for a run in two years. There's a there's a lack of alignment between what your actions are and what you're saying. I get it. I see it all the time. <laughs> I know I know you do. Now, Doug, like what are some common mistakes that you see people make in the RCM process and how do we avoid making those mistakes? Um, 
the biggest mistake that, that people get fall into when they start doing RCM is they think that everything is the same. They say, okay, I've done the failure modes on one motor. They're going to be the same for every motor from here on out. I've done a failure mode on this pump. It will be the same for all the pumps from here on out. I, and that's not the truth. You know, they try to create a library. Uh, my old buddy that I worked with at Kodak that, you know, once I came up with the idea of RCM Blitz, I trained him and brought him along. And, and we actually, he, he helped me do the training and we co-facilitated. And when I left, that was the first thing he started on was a failure modes library. And I kept telling him, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. No, 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 it is working. It is working. I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to template, right? Um, but it's it's not any faster, and it's going to become a nightmare for you, right? I, I worked with another company that they literally were taking everything that they did in their RCMs and building a failure modes library out of it. And after six years, they had 18,000 failure modes in their library, right? And, and when I looked at it, I said, so now you believe that it's faster to go into that list of 18,000 and pick out the things that you think apply to this piece of equipment. Right. And I got kind of the tilted head. Look, we never thought about it that way. Just sit down with the team and discuss what's going on. And it might take you 15 extra minutes, but that 15 extra minutes, at least 30% of the time, you're going to come up with something that you hadn't considered or hadn't thought about. Oh, add that to the list then. All right, so now we got 18,502, right? Um, libraries don't work, lists don't work, and they don't work for a reason, right? All assets are not the same. It's the context in which they're operated and the environment in which they're operated that makes the difference in how they're operated. How well-trained are your operators? Do, do they know how to properly start a piece of equipment or how to properly start one, shut one down or make a product change. Right. All those variables are what makes RCM different and worthwhile. Right. I've now got the smart machine people telling me that RCM is going to go away because the smart machine is going to figure out all the failure modes. Right. And I tell them, no, it won't, but go ahead. I can't do that. I want to see what the output is. Right. Uh, so that would be the most common mistake, uh, aside from just failing to implement. I mean, you have to plan and you have to do and you have to get that done. Love it. Love it. Now, Doug, do you have any top RCM tips for the listeners? Uh, maybe something that you haven't mentioned yet that's really you want to share with everyone? Um, if I could get give companies one tip... And that is, you know, it's, it's worthwhile to train one or two people that understand how to lead a group, how to stick to a step-by-step -step process, and may appoint those people to do RCM full-time and have them work with your planning group on, on implementation. The companies that I see success with their RCM facilitators are, are working hand in hand with their maintenance folks uh, to get this done. Right. And, and they develop a, a team that way that that's effectively gets this done. It doesn't need to be a career forever, <coughs> but it's certainly a great two to three year assignment 
uh, what I've seen in the past, and that gets into the mistakes. Is you know, I worked with one company that literally every quarter we were training ten facilitators, and they get of those ten, they'd have three or four of them that were really good, and then six months later they were promoting them, right? Because they were all young engineers, and I was concerned about that. It's like, well, you know, you know, sort of get somebody that's really good, and the person came back to me and said, my hope is that. And the reason I wanted them promoted is they're someday going to be plant managers and they know what a good RCM is and where it needs to be done. Right. (laughs) I thought to myself, that's an interesting concept. So there's lots of ways to do this. And that, that would be the, my tip is to say, you know, train some people. If you can't afford to train them, then, then bring somebody in and get started. Right. I still enjoy facilitating this day this day more than anything else I do I enjoy working with a new team and turning them on to RCM and saying let's let's go I, I worked with one company this year as I said I did five RCMs with them and they have implemented everything brand new plant brand new equipment everything has been implemented and it's so fun to see them get started in this and understand the process right and so what did they do they turned around and said we're putting an addition on come on back next year I'm excited about it yeah, that sounds that sounds really great, and I'm sure they're getting some great results. Now, Doug, just before we we wrap up here, do you have anything to plug? Like, people are can they see you at any conferences in 2020, or do you have a website? Like, obviously, if people are looking to reach out to you, you'll be tagged in the post, or you'll be in the podcast notes, and they can hit you up on LinkedIn. Do you have anything else you want people to check out? Yeah, um, my website is uh, rcmblitz.com, so www.rcmblitz.com. As I said, we have a brand new, uh, I shouldn't say brand new, one-year-old RCM database that's been put to the test out there this year. Uh, It's priced very cost-effectively. It's got to be one of the most affordable ones out there on the market, and it works fantastically. And it takes your current hierarchy and brings it in so you can get started on doing RCMs on pretty much anything at your plant. Awesome. Awesome. It sounds great. Now, Doug, I, I appreciate you joining us Saturday morning. It's you got to get out and watch some college football today. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good day to sit in and watch that because I think we've got about 14 inches of snow sitting outside here, and it's uh, a little bit chilly today. So <laughs> it could be a college football day. That's right. I, we're not doing too much better here in Edmonton, so less snow, but it's cold. <laughs> All right, Rob, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and everyone who's still listening, I, I appreciate your, you listening, and I appreciate. I hope you learned some stuff today. I, I think it was a great episode. I'm looking forward to having Doug back on later this year. So if you haven't yet, just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week.